Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. It seemed really quiet, like ominous for a second there. You guys are scaring me. Um, Hey, uh, what a privilege it is for me to be able to do this this morning. Um, You know, I usually am uh, leading worship, and I I love to do that, but um, sometimes it's just great to be able to to sit with you and and worship with you, and so um, just thank you for allowing me to do that with you this morning. Before uh, we get into today's message, I want to share something with you. So about a month ago, uh, Pastor Jeff shared our word for the year, right? Traction. Do you notice those tires up in the lobby and traction everywhere? Yeah, traction. Um, And with that, he gave us some different emphases for each quarter that places that we want to get traction as a church. And so this first quarter, um, you'll see um, on the wall behind me is first or next gen, not first gen, first quarter, next gen. Um, And last week, we got to introduce um, our new next gen pastor, Taylor and his wife, Alexa, via video, and they're coming on May 1st, and we're just so excited for what they're going to bring. Um, in addition to that, in a couple weeks or a few weeks, uh, our Kidmo team has been, they've been working hard on that lower level, and we're going to open that up for our fourth and fifth graders to have an awesome place uh, to, to worship on Sunday mornings and expand that area tremendously. Well, next quarter, you'll see quarter two, um, we're going to look for traction in discipleship and partnership. And so Pastor Jeff talked a little bit about partnership over the last couple of weeks. And I want to share with you just a little bit about discipleship. I I don't know if you know this, but we actually have a really awesome discipleship team that has formed um, in the last month or so. And one of the things that's come out of that team is called the Reveal Survey. And this is actually a study that thousands of churches over the past decade or so um, have engaged in to help them identify where they're at as a church. Um, What's the spiritual maturity of our church? And how can we take steps forward to gain traction? So, um, this survey is completely anonymous, and your participation is going to help us assess the overall uh, spiritual health of our church, but also, um, and maybe even more importantly, help us identify how to take steps forward in discipleship. You know, our mission is here on the wall. It's helping people experience a Jesus-centered life. And we take that so seriously um, because we, we know how life-changing it is to have a heart and a life centered on Jesus. And so we believe that these insights are going to be incredibly helpful for us in terms of identifying the future of discipleship at Mosaic. So as you can imagine, uh, a survey like this, a study like this is only helpful if you participate. So we need your help, and um, it's, it's a critical part of our goal to take discipleship further in this next year. So next week, you're going to see more details on that. It's gonna, the survey is going to become available, and please, it's anonymous, 
We want your honest feedback. We want to know what we can do to help you experience a Jesus-centered life. So be on the lookout for more details on that next week. Um, before we get into the message, I'd like to just, I'd like to pray, um, one for us and for that, that survey, but also, um, just for the people of Ukraine and what's happening there and, um, just that God would, would move in a powerful way there. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, um, man, we just come to you this morning grateful. Um, really our hearts filled with gratitude for the love that you have shown us for, for the, the truths in the songs that we just sang, that you are the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and that even though you didn't have to, you gave your son so that we might be reconciled to you, Lord. And so we're just so grateful for that this morning. I do pray um, for this survey that you would speak to us as a church um, how best to disciple um, our body, these people who we love dearly so that they can experience lives centered on you. And um, God, we really, truly do just lift up uh, the people of Ukraine. Um, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking um, what's happening there and um, the pain and, and suffering. And God, we just ask that you would do a powerful work that you would move in the hearts of people who, who need you to meet them in their suffering, that you would move in the hearts of leaders who, um, who need to work towards peace. God, would you do uh, an incredible work in the Ukraine? We just trust you in all of these things. We love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, can you guys believe this? Um, it's kind of crazy to me. It kind of blows my mind. It, we're actually coming up on, on two years from the beginning of this pandemic. We don't like to talk about it, but two years, at least two years from when it was really affecting us in the U.S. And it's just caused me a little bit of reflection, to be honest. Um, I mean, I even kind of went back and watched some old videos of like from... Um, from the church and like, oh, we're, we're going to close for two weeks. A yeah, little optimistic, right? It was the whole uh, 15 days to stop the spread. And then um, two weeks turned into two months. And two months turned into several months. And now here we are two years later. And it's probably a bit of an understatement to say that things have changed in those last two years. Um, and so, you know, just reflect with me for a moment, if you would. You know, your routines were disrupted. Travel? <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. Um, if you were uncomfortable on the internet, well, you got a crash course, didn't you? Now you're Zooming, you're FaceTiming, you're shopping online, and you probably don't have any desire to go back. Um, the work from home culture probably accelerated like a good 10 years in the last two. And for some, it really improved that like work-life balance, right? Like, oh, this is so nice. And well, for others, it completely eliminated work-life balance, what little bit that you had going into it. You, you went into quarantine and you, and you entered into that quarantine part of a nation that's divided, you know, divided along lines of race. 
divided along lines of class, divided politically. And you come out of quarantine, and literally each of those things have intensified those divisions and tensions. Then uh, the pandemic started with this, this mindset. Do you remember this? Like, hey, we're all in this together, guys. We're going to get through this together. Uh, not so much anymore, right? It really, it really doesn't feel like that's the mindset of those around us. In fact, there's, there's a lot of impatience, anger, frustration, kind of we're quick to that. And the people around us seem to be as well. You, you were forced to isolate from community, right? And in fact, some people are still wrestling with that today. Or perhaps even now you've just decided, you know, I, I, think, I think it's just better to do this on my own. I, I don't really enjoy community. You're working a full day. You've got like kids activities because they're back in full swing. And then some, I think they're trying to make up for time lost. Um, the last two years at home have made you feel isolated. And you aren't really sure, despite that, like, do I have the time or the energy to really engage in community? Well, believe it or not, the Bible actually addresses some of these things in a situation not entirely different from ours. Not a pandemic, but a lot of similar themes. And so if you would open your Bible or open your Bible app, if you prefer, um, to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have these scriptures on the screen for you as well. And, and while you're doing that, I want to just give you a little bit of context on the book of Ephesians um, and why this uh, applies to us and what we're kind of looking at. So the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he's actually writing this letter to people in the city of Ephesus who um, he had started a church there several years prior. And he's reminding them of things that, that no doubt he shared with them while he was there in person with them. Um, he's been telling them that God has chosen them, that they're the children of God, that God's redeemed them, and that they're sealed by God's spirit. Now, a little bit on the city of Ephesus. It was actually one of those leading cities in the Roman Empire, probably not unlike, you know, like a New York City, a Los Angeles, or, or maybe even like a London in terms of, you know, global economy. It was a leading um, premier city of its time. It was a hub for international trade, and as a result, you had kind of this um, hodgepodge of different people groups and different cultures and belief systems and practices that went with that. And so the time where this letter is written is kind of the point where all the hype and, and, and all the excitement of starting a new church in Ephesus, like that's gone. That's in the rearview mirror. It's years after the start of this church, so, so all that's died down, and now they're left asking this, this fundamental question, how do we live in community in spite of our racial, cultural, and socioeconomic differences? Sound familiar? Is it really possible for the work of Jesus to be so deep and so profound in a place that's so divided along lines of class and, and race. And, and if the church today 
is really going to embody the gospel of Jesus, we've got to figure this out in the same way that the Ephesians did. So I've got a bit of a long passage, so bear with me. Um, But it's in Ephesians. We're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, uh, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away and have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So, this is a passage about circumcision, ceremonial rites, a temple from a thousand years ago. Um, Doesn't sound like it really applies to us, maybe. But I actually believe that this is exactly the kind of message that the church needs to hear in America. You see, Paul is telling them that you're not only reconciled to God himself, but also reconciled to one another in Christ. And so he begins in verse 11. He says, therefore, you know, hey, hey, in light of everything I just shared with you, um, remember. And what is it that he wants them to remember? Well, well, he wants them to remember all the things that he's shared with them, all the things that he's written about earlier in this letter. Remember what God has done for you. Remember all the things that, that, that um, God has done to shape you, to bring you to where you are today, because that is necessary to um, enter into community with the type of humility that you need. Okay, question. Have any of you seen uh, The Village by M. Night Shyamalan? A little older movie, a couple, couple chuckles. Okay, laughing at me, that's fine. I see how it is. Um, it's a little bit odd. It's an odd movie, I'll admit. But it's great, and, and it starts off, and you feel like it's hundreds of years ago, like maybe the 1700s. And it's this story of a community that's living in a village in the middle of nowhere. And they're living in isolation. And I'm going to wreck the plot because it's, it was 2004, guys. It, the statute of limitations on spoilers is up. Um, so each member of the village, they keep a box, just this little box. And it's this collective memory of their past. And, and it's there to remind them of the life they left behind and this incredible privilege that they have living in the village. 
So, you know, whenever tensions would arise, whenever um, they would feel temptation or conflict would arise, they open these boxes because it keeps their hearts content and, and reminds them of where they've come from. And now you find out in the end of the movie, like it's not the 1700s, it was filmed in like present day. And, and so it's weird because it's so basically what that means is there's this group of people who've completely left society. They've isolated themselves and they've moved into this kind of, you know, older style of living uh, pre-technology. And what they've done is they, they wanted to escape the dysfunctions of our culture. You, you know, the hatred prejudice, violence, division. And so what they would do is anytime they, they lost sight of that, they'd refer back to these boxes and it would remind them of the great life that they have in the village. So what's the point? The point is this, we need to remember where we're from in order to live out who we are. And this is especially true when we enter into community. I mean, let's face it, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have this tendency to enter into community from a consumer perspective, especially in the church, right? We start evaluating programs and, and, and kind of, you know, subtly judging people. Are they like me? Am I going to like them? And what Paul is saying is we need to remember where we've come from. We need to remember the backgrounds that shaped us the, the, the story that we've been a part of, how Jesus has changed us. Otherwise, you're left with pride, assumption, and these kind of surface cultural judgments. We, we lose this profound sense of the work that God has done to weave us together. And so Paul, he says, hey, in light of who you are, remember who you once were. And then he continues by giving three things to put in your box, if you would. Th three things to, to remind them of what life apart from Christian community was like. So first, he says, you were Christless. Like, remember your life without Jesus. There's no Messiah. There is no Savior. There's no promise Remember that you were separate from Christ. See, the Jews were God's chosen people, and it was through the Jewish people that, that the Messiah, Jesus, would come. So if you were a Gentile, if you were a non-Jew, it meant that you were an outsider, that, that you did not belong, and there was no Savior coming to save you. And so he wants them to remember, like, this is a gift. This is a great privilege to be God's people. The second thing he reminds them of, he says, you're foreigners. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and from the presence of God or the promises of God. Like, he wants them to know, you, you were illegal immigrants, he says, without Jesus, you have no rights, you have no access, you have no privileges, you have no status in the kingdom of God. This is who you were. You, you didn't have Jesus, 
You didn't have citizenship. And the third thing was you didn't have hope. You were without hope and without God in the world. Now, I don't think that he was trying to say that, you know, being a non-Christian is an entirely meaningless existence. You know, I think there were happy non-Christians back in the first century. But what he's saying is, unless you're connected to the creator, you're living a delusion. Now, you can be happy in a delusion, but ultimately, it's going to end in tragedy. And so I believe that there are just so many people who are far from God, and they, they're happy. But I also think there's this gnawing sense, this question, is this all there is? Is there anything more? People are aching for this. They're without God. They're without hope. They're longing for more. And so Paul, he wants these Christian Gentiles to remember that they used to be excluded. And we need to remember that as well. But God, rich in his mercy, he welcomed you in. You were lost. You, you didn't have a future. You didn't have hope. You were an illegal immigrant. But God, in his mercy, he's welcomed you in. Remember that so that you don't enter into community with pride or entitlement. And this is his message to the Gentiles. He goes on and then he addresses the Jewish community as well. He's, so just to understand, give a little context, if the, if the Gentiles were the outsiders, well, the Jewish community, they were the insiders. And, and Paul wants them to know, hey, just because you're an insider doesn't mean that salvation is guaranteed for you. He, he's reminding them, be careful that spiritual pride doesn't rob you of what God wants you to experience in community. See, this whole passage, it's about reconciliation. It's about bringing the outsiders in, and it's about breaking down the walls of, of pride and self-righteousness for the insiders to create something new. Now, for a Jewish believer in the first century, welcoming in these godless Gentiles would have been just culturally shocking to them. The Jewish community had just been so thoroughly beaten and battered by Gentile nations that they despised them. I mean, they literally hated them. The Gentiles were nicknamed dogs, and they were called dirty and evil. And I think this is crazy, but one popular rabbi at the time, he taught that the only reason that Gentiles were created was to fuel the fires of hell. So, I mean, it's hard to articulate the tension here. I mean, it would be similar to asking um, Jews in World War II to worship with Hitler in the headquarters of the Third Reich. I mean, it's, it's crazy. That's the level of tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. So you start to get a picture of the, the racial conflict, the tensions, the angst that's written into this text that, that we often don't see. 
This, uh, in some sense, would have been the, the cultural and racial tensions that the Jewish community felt welcoming these godless, pagan outsiders into the midst of their church. Yet God is, he's breaking all of those barriers down through Jesus and he's creating a new humanity. Verse 14 says this, for he himself is our peace who made the two groups one. You see, it's really important that we see the goal wasn't for, um, it wasn't to make Gentiles Jewish. The, the goal was to create something new and better, not something Jewish, not something Gentile. So it's not like this idea of like, well, how much do the Gentiles have to do to become more Jewish? Or how much do the Jews have to let go of to, to let the Gentiles in? It's that God is literally, through Jesus, he's creating something new. It's a new humanity. The Gentiles thought they were excluded because of their immorality. And the Jews thought they were included because of their heritage. But Paul says, your past doesn't disqualify you, nor does your past pre-qualify you. What qualifies you is trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how does God do this? How does he go about creating this, this new humanity? Well, we actually just read it in verse 14. It says, he is our peace. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is our peace. Jesus removes division and he brings reconciliation. And he starts with deconstructing the walls that divide us. Paul says in verses 14 through 16 that Christ has made us one. He removes division. He is our peace. He's made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He's set aside the, the law and all of the, the commands and regulations. And his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Peace removes division. Peace removes the dividing walls of hostility. See, the Jews were actually commissioned by God to be separate and to show the world what it likes to live for God and invite the rest of the world to be a part of it. But instead, they became self-righteous. And that's why Jesus was so angry with the Pharisees. That's, that's why he said in Matthew 23, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Let me imagine Jesus saying this to you. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves, you do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. I mean, he's saying like, look, guys, you're supposed to be opening the door wide for all the nations. And instead, you've shut it because of your own self-righteousness. And the door that he's referring to is this dividing wall that, that Paul is referencing. It's, it's the layout of the temple. It's the, the temple was the center of Jewish worship. Um, it was the place where heaven and earth intersected. It's the place where, where God resided amongst the people. And there was this system class for temple worship that actually determined how far into the presence of God you could go. 
And interestingly enough, scholars say that, that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians because he had uh, led a Gentile into the temple. And so this is what one commentator says it was like. He said, the layout of the temple in Jerusalem was dramatically marked, uh, the, it dramatically marked the estrangement of the Gentiles. So in inside the temple were a series of courts. The innermost court was the hallowed most holy place or the holy of holies. You can see it on the screen here. Um, and that's where the high priest would go. And at that, only once a year. Then comes the court of priests uh, just outside the holy place. Then the court of the Israelites. Then the court of women. Then finally, back and away from the most holy place, far away from even the priests, separated from the men of Israel by a barrier of women, was the court of the Gentiles. And on the low barrier separating the lowest court from the rest were posted signs in Latin and Greek giving warning that death would come to any Gentile who sought to advance further towards the most holy place. I mean, there's literally signs saying, stay out. You've got a, a picture coming up here. And, and this is from a museum in Jerusalem. It's literally a sign that says, Gentiles, come any closer and you'll be put to death. So you can imagine being a Gentile and coming into worship and realizing, oh, wow, this is as far as I can go because I'm unholy, because I'm unworthy. But the cross has removed all barriers. And Jesus does this repeatedly. He, he says, look, I'm the temple now. And I'm going to tear down this temple. He's destructed the barrier so that now we can have complete access to the presence of God. Like This is what Christ has done for us. The, the dividing walls of hostility are gone now. And anyone has complete access to God. And it's through faith in the sacrifice that Jesus made that we have this access into God's presence. Now, anyone can go into the Holy of Holies, directly into the presence of God, because, because the presence of God isn't a place. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. It's not our religious performance. It's not our background. We're not pre-qualified, nor are we disqualified. But it's through Christ that we have access there was this prayer in, in Jewish liturgy at the time. I think it's a terrible prayer. Um, this is the prayer. It said, God, I want to thank you that I'm a Jew and not a Gentile. God, I want to thank you that I'm a man and not a woman. And God, I want to thank you that I'm free and not a slave. And Paul is just breaking them away from this system of religious exclusivity. He's saying, look, because of Jesus, you can't pray that prayer anymore. Because of the work that Jesus has done, you, you can't say that creed. So if you're a Jew who's ashamed of the Gentiles, or you're, you're self-righteous, or you're a Pharisee, you're wrestling with the license, you can't pray that prayer anymore. You are a new humanity in Christ. He, he's removed the dividing walls and it's in its place constructed a new humanity. 
He's reconciling us to God and to one another. And it says that his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. You see, the the effect of the work of Jesus is more than just homogenization, you know, making the two alike. It's renewal. It's making both new and better. Christ's purpose was that to in himself create a new humanity. And the, the Greek word that's used here is kainos. So kainos, what, what it refers to, it's something that's entirely unlike what it was before. It, it refers to being different in kind and in quality. So spiritually, a new person in Christ is no longer a Jew, is no longer a Gentile. They're just simply Christian. One of the early church fathers, John Chrysostom, um, he said this. He said, it's as if, or it's as though one took a statue of silver and a statue of lead and put them into a forge and they came out one statue of gold. They've not only become one, but they've become better. And so God, he takes these these two very different things and he brings them together to make them new, but they're they're not like one or the other. It's something better. He upgrades them and makes them something incredible. He, he says it's no longer about the flesh. It's not about circumcision, which was one of the physical signs that made them distinct. It, it, it's, it's not about what you do in the flesh. It's about what's done in the spirit. This is the new humanity. And so we, as the church, we don't define ourselves by our politics We don't define ourselves by our race or our background or our class because we are all just sinners unified by the blood of Jesus. And to define ourselves any other way ultimately leads to prejudice and division. We're all made equal at the foot of the cross. So Gentiles, you're not excluded, and and Jews, you're not automatically included. God is doing something new with both of you. He's forming you into the people of God, the church. Okay. So what is all this talk of, like, circumcision, temple worship, reconciliation? Like, we had a nice little history lesson. Thanks a lot. Like, what does that mean for us today? That's really what this boils down to. And so I want to leave you with one kind of main thought here. It's this. You have to be really committed to the people in this room. You need to be committed to the people who make up the church. The church isn't a building. The church is is the people. And it's not just this church, but it's the church down the street, and it's the church across the world. We need to be committed to one another. Um, Joseph Hellerman, he says this. It kind of sounds like a George Bush quote, but uh, here we go. He says, something else happens when we were saved, which is just as real in God's eyes 
uh, on God's positional ledger sheet, so to say, as our justification. It's something I like to call our familification. Yeah, you see it now. Um, just as we're justified with respect to God, the Father upon salvation, so also we are familified with respect to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this familification is no less a positional reality than our justification. So, so what he's saying is, hey, look, you're made right with God. Like that's the justification piece that he's speaking of. But that's not where it ends. You're also made right with one another. Like that's the heart of what it means to be the church. You know, how many times in the past few weeks has um, Jeff said, Mosaic is a family. We have been reconciled, not only to God, but to one another through Jesus Christ. So you can't follow Jesus and, and separate yourself from the church. You, you can't follow Jesus and separate yourself from the people of God. And this is hard today. This is, I'm like, really hard today. I mean, people are here today and, and gone tomorrow, right? They're, they come in, they come out, whether it be because they move or just change churches or whatever that looks like. Um, man, people have different ideas, different thoughts. It's annoying, isn't it? Oh my gosh, some of the ideas out there, right? But we have to have a fierce and loyal commitment to one another like family. And so I want to close with this. Um, this is a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, kind of a writer, theologian from around the World War II time. He says this, um, and, and he says it because we, we kind of have this tendency to either decide we're not going to bother with community or um, we'll, we'll, we'll have this tendency to kind of idealize it to idolize it, to, to make it something that it's not. You know, like something like, oh, the church is just going to be my perfect Instagram family. I'm going to be in a life group, and it's going to be wonderful. Everyone's just going to click with me, and it's going to be so beautiful. I'm going to be inspired all the time, and um, it's just going to be bliss. And um, this, is, this is what Bonhoeffer says. He says this. He says, um, every human wish dream that is brought into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. Those who love their dream of Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their, their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. I mean, that's, that's like marrying someone for the idea of who they are. But he goes on and he says, God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands. They, they set up their own law. They judge one another and even God accordingly. 
They stand adamant, a living reproach to all of the others in the circle of the community. They act as if they have to create the Christian community, as if their visionary ideal binds people together. Whatever does not go their way, they call it a failure. When their idealized image is shattered, they see the community breaking into pieces. So they first become accusers of others in the community, then accusers of God, and finally, the desperate accusers of themselves. Because God has already laid the only foundation of our community, because God has united us in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered into the common life with them, we enter into that life not as those who make demands, but as those who thankfully receive. We, we thank God for what he has done for us. Only God knows the real condition of either our community or our sanctification. And what may appear weak and insignificant to us may be great and glorious to God. Have you idealized Christian community? Are you waiting for the perfect church? Like, keep waiting. Because we are going to disillusion you. Because this church is led by people. And this church is filled with people. And people have idiosyncrasies. People have different opinions. People sin. I mean, good people sin. We have to enter in with humility. We have to recognize that this is a family, that every family is imperfect, and that I am too. I mean, if we don't get that right, how on earth are we going to be a force for reconciliation throughout the world? Like, if Christ did all of this work to remove the barriers and, and the division, on what grounds can we stand here and say, I'm going to keep those barriers in place? We have to be a reconciling church. And it starts with you. And it starts with me. I mean, if we don't learn to, to love one another in Christ how will we ever move past our own cultural and social and political differences? I mean, if we can't do that, how are we going to experience life centered on Jesus? How are we going to experience this, this full life that Jesus promises us? And how will we ever impact the world around us for good. So may we be people who aren't disqualified by our past and don't think that we're pre-qualified by our religious status. But would we really believe that the good news of the gospel through that work that we are a new humanity, better than before, 
and that God will help us look different from the world around us. Imagine what that church would look like. Would you pray with me? Lord, um, we just come to you humbly this morning and just acknowledge um, our own brokenness that we fall short, that we do often enter into um, community and relationship with a sense of pride or kind of what, what can I get out of this? God, would you help us through the power of your Holy Spirit? You've, you've reconciled us to you. Would you reconcile us to one another? Would you give us a heart for that? Would you show us how to live that out? Take our pride. Break down the walls. And help us live in unity. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.